Now, the last few weeks, uh, we've been in John 15, and we're looking at the Lord's um, words there, where he describes himself as the true vine. And um, that was the first study we had together from John 15. Uh, Jesus, the, the genuine, the authentic vine, going back to the Old Testament, where the Israelites, blessed by God with all great privileges, but they failed, didn't they? Um, and they constantly wandered. And the scripture says they produced wild grapes. And so uh, somebody else was needed. And that person is provided for us in the Lord Jesus Christ, the true vine, the one whose life was pleasing to God. And uh, in him we are accepted. And that was the second study. We, uh, we, we paid attention to the Lord's words. Uh, Abide in me. So to be a Christian means to have union with Christ and to be joined with him and joined to him and his life is in us. And then last week we thought about uh, the following words of the Lord where he speaks about not just abiding in him, but abiding, he says, in my love. And uh, we thought of the Christian life in that way, uh, that we are caught up in the love of God. And what a tremendous blessing that is, you know, whatever we go through in life, that we know that we are loved by God. Uh, that's a constant. And uh, this evening we are thinking about the Lord's words, uh, following what he says about love. And there's a great contrast, isn't there, in, uh, in the passage we read in chapter 15 and verse 18. Uh, having spoken about the love of God, which he gives to his people as they trust him, uh, and he tells them to love one another, then the Lord gives this contrast. Um, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. And uh, immediately after speaking about love, that, 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 that wonderful theme of the love of God, uh, then the Lord Jesus teaches his disciples that as they follow him, and if they follow him, then they can expect to be hated by the world. Uh, but then he also promises that uh, there is help. And so that, that's our two thoughts this evening. Uh, the hatred of the world and the help that is given to us by the Holy Spirit. So first of all, the, the hatred, the warning that Jesus gives about hatred. And uh, th those words, as we've read them, are found in chapter 15, verses 18, all the way through to verse 25. You, you will have heard the old saying, to be forewarned, is to be forearmed. And um, that's true, isn't it, in life? Um, we've seen events in, in Afghanistan and the political events, politicians are being criticized. President Biden is being criticized for being taken by surprise. But if you, if you are forewarned about something, then you can prepare. Uh, and um, I'm glad that Nathaniel, uh, as he began the, the meeting this, uh, this evening, he, he drew attention to that, you know, that. Uh, Jesus spoke these words with a very practical reason. He didn't want his disciples to stumble. He didn't want them to be offended. He wanted them to be prepared for the future. And we can see the love of Christ in that, can't we? That the Lord doesn't leave us in the dark. He prepares us and he warns us about future things. Doesn't mean that we, we know everything that's going to happen to us. Um, but we do know that there are certain things that are true. And uh, Jesus says this, uh, not just to fill their minds with, with words, but for the very practical reason that he doesn't want them uh, to be offended, to stumble and to fall away um, in that sense. And so first of all, he speaks to them about this hatred that as they follow the Lord Jesus Christ and they are joined to him, uh, they will be hated by the world. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world 
here too. The, f- the first thing we want to notice about this hatred that Jesus speaks about uh, is that it's a personal hatred. Uh, why does the world hate the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? And uh, the, the very first thing that Jesus says uh, is that in one sense it's nothing to do with the Christian at all. It's to do with him. Uh, you know that it hated me before it hated you. And um, if they persecuted me, Jesus says, verse 20, they will also persecute you. And so the Lord draws attention to this. This, this hatred that is in the world uh, is, first of all, directed to Christ. Uh, the world hates him. It's one of the saddest things about the world, isn't it? Uh, there's an old children's hymn which has these simple words in it. Those kind hands that did such good, they nailed them to a cross of wood. There was nothing in the Lord Jesus Christ to be hated. There was no reason to hate him. And yet, he was taken by wicked hands and he was crucified. And uh, he suffered. He was the man of sorrows. Uh, Right from the moment when he was born into the world, we we remember the story in Matthew's Gospel, how that King Herod uh, wanted to kill this baby Jesus. He'd heard the threat, maybe, that this baby was going to become a great king. And, uh, and so Herod kills all the babies under uh, two years of age uh, just to get at that one child. Uh, Christ was hated, wasn't he, right from the moment of his birth. And then we think of his life, uh, how he was despised and rejected by men. And uh, Jesus draws attention to that here in John 15. Uh, they, they hated me, Jesus says. They persecuted me. And because you are joined to me and united to me, and following me, they will also do the same to you. It's inevitable. And uh, the Lord Jesus draws attention to that. He speaks about the world and, and the, the world uh, that the Lord refers to in verse 19. Uh, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. But you are not of the world. Uh, Jesus there is not referring to the physical earth. Uh, but um, the world system, we could say. Uh, we are now following the Lord Jesus Christ if we are his people and we, we want to hear his voice. And we are determined to obey him. And uh, we, are, we are going against the flow. The world is running the opposite way, but we are following Christ. Jesus says that if they hated me, they will hate you. Uh, the Lord prays that in his great prayer just before Calvary in John 17 Uh, And he prays to his father and he says, I've given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And so there's there's this personal hatred towards Christ first and then directed to believers in Jesus uh, as we follow him. And uh, it's a personal hatred. It's also a blind hatred, isn't it? Notice how Jesus speaks about that in verse 21 down to verse 24. In verse 21, the Lord says, All these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because... And then the Lord explains why they hate him, and then they hate believers. It's because they do not know him who sent me. Uh, It's a blind hatred because they don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. They don't know who sent him. There's a blindness. And uh, you remember how in the Gospels it was religious people, uh, the Jewish nation who rejected Christ and then persecuted the first Christians. 
There was this blindness to Christ. The Apostle Paul says, uh, if only they'd known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But they didn't know, did they? They didn't recognize him. John chapter 1, the same thing. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Didn't recognize him. Didn't know him. And uh, so it's not just a personal hatred, but it's a blind hatred. And uh, we can thank God if the Lord has opened our eyes uh, so that we recognize the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the Lord Jesus here goes on to say that uh, they will persecute you and they, they hated me because they don't know him who sent me. And, uh, and then Jesus goes on to say that uh, they will kill believers believing that they're doing God's work. Chapter 16 and verse 2, which we read, The time is coming, whoever kills you will think that he offers God's service. Uh, church history tells us that Thomas Cranmer was burned at the stake in 1556 uh, while a sermon was being preached. That's it, isn't it? We think of Saul of Tarsus uh, allowing Stephen to be stoned to death, consenting for it to take place. And Saul of Tarsus believing that he was doing the work of God. Rounding up, rounding up Christians and throwing them into prison and even having them killed. So there's this blindness. It's a blind hatred. It's also a stubborn hatred. Uh, why, why do people hate the Lord Jesus Christ? Why, why did we once hate him or avoid him before we were converted? Well, it's because we, we didn't know who he was. We didn't recognize him. And it's because the life of the Lord Jesus Christ... Uh, shows us our sinfulness. And as human beings, we don't like that, do we? We like to think that we are good enough for God. We will get to heaven on our own, uh, and God will accept us. And uh, yet, did you notice in the reading how in verse 22 to verse 24, Jesus speaks about his coming into the world, and he exposes sin. Verse 22, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not. they would have no sin, but... Now they have no excuse for their sin. He repeats the words in verse 24. They would have no sin. But now they've seen and also hated me and my father. The father sends his son into the world. And the Lord Jesus, through his life and his ministry, uh, he, he shows what sin is. And as human beings, it's, it's not a comfortable thing, is it? You remember the words of the Lord Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, where, where the Jews, quite proudly of, the, of their own lives, might say, well, I've never committed murder, never killed anybody. And then Jesus would apply the Ten Commandments, the spiritual, spiritualness of them, and he would say, uh, if, if you've hated somebody in your heart, then you've killed, you've broken God's law. They might have also said, well, we've never committed adultery. Jesus goes on to say, well, if you've lusted after a woman in your heart, well, then you've, you've committed adultery in the sight of God. And God's law has been broken. And uh, it's no wonder then that the Lord Jesus, he, he was hated, wasn't he? Because religious people, thinking that they were okay because of their religion. But Jesus showed them that um, synagogue attendance or church attendance doesn't save us. You can attend a church or a chapel building uh, until you're 100 years old and yet 
be no nearer to God. Our prayers don't save us. Our deeds don't save us. Our giving to charity doesn't save us. The Lord Jesus comes and he exposes sin for what it is. There's a line in, um, I, I forget exactly where it's from, I didn't write it down, but there's a line in one of Shakespeare's plays and um, there are two characters in this particular play and one says about the other one, about this man, there's a beauty in his life that makes me look ugly. And surely we, we could say that about the Lord Jesus, couldn't we? As you look at his life, are you like Jesus? Are you perfect? The father said about his son, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. God was pleased with him, well pleased with him. He's the only person that, uh, that uh, he has said that about. Everybody else is sinful. And, uh, and, and hence the hatred to the Lord Jesus. We don't want to be exposed to our sins. Think of John chapter 3 verse 19. This is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. This hatred, it's, it's a personal hatred directed towards Christ and his people. It's a, it's a blind hatred and a stubborn hatred. Verse 25, it's a satanic hatred. It's summed up there in the 25th verse where Jesus quotes from Psalm 69 verse 4. They hated me without a cause. That little phrase, without a cause, is also used in the New Testament about God's love to, to us. Uh, we don't deserve God's love. God's love to us is without a cause in us. There's no reason in us that God should love us. And, and this phrase now is used about the Lord Jesus. He's hated without a cause. There's nothing in the Lord Jesus to be hated. He doesn't deserve hatred. And um, a thousand years before, in the life of David, David who killed Goliath and saved the Israelites from um, the Philistines. And uh, yet afterwards, you remember the story, David is uh, hated by the king of Israel, King Saul. And David had done nothing to deserve that. He brought great, great victories to Israel. He defeated that great giant, Goliath. But then King Saul becomes jealous and tries to kill David. He's, he's hated without a cause. And, and in the life of David, there's a picture there, you could say, of the greater David to come, King David's greatest son, Jesus. He was hated without a cause. It's a satanic hatred. Did you see the news yesterday about uh, Tom Cruise uh, and um, his helicopter was flying around, uh, was it Wiltshire or somewhere, and he, he, he was looking for a field to land in and uh, he asked permission to this farmer and his family if he could land in his field. Great excitement. Tom Cruise has arrived in our backyard and the reception that he gets, it hits the headlines on the BBC News. And Jesus says, you're if, um, if you're of the world, the world will love its own. The world will give you a wonderful reception. 
What reception did the Lord Jesus Christ have? He was hated without a cause. It doesn't make sense, does it? Why this wonderful person, the second person of the Trinity, who would come into the world and humble himself and, and do nothing but good? As it says in the book of Acts, Jesus of Nazareth went about doing good. Somebody, somebody has said about that that uh, most people just go about. Jesus went about doing good. It doesn't make sense that such a person should be hated. So where does that hatred come from? It's satanic, isn't it? And in these chapters, we read about Judas Iscariot. Satan enters into him. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says to Christians, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, and against the rulers of the darkness of this age, and against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. They hated me, the Lord says, without a cause. It's a satanic hatred. Lastly, on this uh, theme of hatred, uh, Jesus says it's a planned hatred. There is a line of comfort for us, isn't there, in verse 25. This happened that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. And so here the Lord is quoting a thousand-year-old prophecy. And uh, he's saying that that phrase must be fulfilled in God's word. It must be fulfilled. And so this hatred is prophesied. It's planned. Human beings are responsible for the way they treat Jesus, yes. Uh, the, the hatred from Satan is, is, is horrible and evil. And uh, yet not even the devil is in ultimate control. God is in control. And, and God uses this, this uh, even uses this satanic hatred directed towards Christ to bring something good. Think of the words of Peter on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. Peter puts that first. He talks about the wicked hands afterwards. But the first thing he says is, delivered. Jesus was delivered by the determined, determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. And through the cross and through the horrible events... And even through the, the satanic hatred of, of Satan himself, yet God brings salvation. And uh, that, that's the comfort there, isn't it? The disciples uh, at these moments, they, they didn't understand Calvary. They didn't understand the need for the cross. But they would understand that uh, these events were a divine fulfillment of God's word. We take encouragement from that truth in our own lives as Christians, don't we? The events in our own lives, sometimes which are hard and difficult to understand. Trials and difficulties that come to us and problems. Uh, and yet the Lord allows these things, Romans 8 to 28, to, to bring good for his good to his people and for his glory. Maybe our minds wonder about the world events in Afghanistan and we, we fail to comprehend all that's going on. What is our comfort? Well, God, God can, can bring good out of evil. He can do these things. And we know that he is in, in ultimate control. 
uh, even of, of hatred and sin that's in the world. So the Lord doesn't want his disciples to be unprepared for the hatred they're going to face. Persecution, laughter, ridicule. Maybe you've been shunned as you try to witness maybe to some of your family or friends or neighbours, work, workmates. Maybe they roll your eyes when they see you coming or when you speak about Christian things. But it, it does help to know, doesn't it, that the Lord Jesus prepared us for all this. So that we don't enter the Christian life blindly. But we know, we know what's coming. He's prepared us for it and so we can face the world uh, in God's strength. So we thought about the hatred. Let's think uh, then secondly about the help that Jesus promises. And, and these are wonderful words, aren't they? From chapter 15 of John, verse 26, down to chapter 16, verse 4. And uh, here the Lord speaks about the help that is available to his people. Uh, and uh, you see it there at the beginning of verse uh, 25. Oh, sorry, verse 26. Uh, having spoken about the hatred, hated without a cause, then Jesus says, but... How are Christians supposed to manage in a world like this? How can we witness in a world that is against our message? Well, now Jesus tells us. When the, when the comforter comes, or the helper, the, the word comforter or helper means somebody who comes alongside. Uh, and uh, that, that, that's what preachers always look for, isn't it? We don't want to be standing on our own. We want the helper to come alongside us as we minister and as we preach. And uh, that makes all the difference in the world, doesn't it? And, and that's the, the word comfort, paraclete. Somebody who comes alongside to help you. And uh, the disciples here who would become apostles of Jesus, they wouldn't be left on their own. The Lord has already said this to them. I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you by the Holy Spirit. And uh, now Jesus then go, goes into, uh, into this in, in detail, really, in chapter 16. We, we're just touching on the last part of um, chapter 15 and the opening verses of chapter 16 this evening uh, on this theme of help. Uh, but uh, what, what, what a wonderful thing. Whatever you're going through at the moment as a Christian... There is somebody who can come alongside you. You, you can ask for help. Uh, no, notice what the Lord Jesus says in these words. Chapter 15, verse 26. Uh, the Spirit comes with authority, Jesus says. When the Comforter comes, the Helper, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth, who proceeds from the Father... And, and earlier in John's Gospel, that's how Jesus had referred to himself. I have been sent from the Father. And Jesus came with divine authority. And now Jesus uses that phrase about the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. He, he's not just a mere influence or a magnetic force, as, as uh, Jehovah's Witnesses and others want to tell us. He's a real person. He's the third person of the Godhead. And uh, he is divine. He, he is as much God as the Father and Jesus is God. And yet a separate person. And he comes with authority. He comes from the Father, proceeding from the Father. But Jesus says, I will send him. So there's the authority of the Holy Spirit. 
And we need that help, don't we, in our life and witness. The apostles would need it when they stood on the day of Pentecost. We are told about them that they preached with boldness. They weren't on their own. And we need this today, don't we? In our churches and in, in preaching and in our lives and witnessing as Christians. We, we need the, the authority that comes from the Holy Spirit. He's also the spirit of truth. Jesus speaks about that. You notice in verse 26, he describes the Holy Spirit as the spirit of truth. And he will testify of me. The spirit of truth. In a world of lies, filled with the lies of the devil and false religion and antichrists. How can we know or testify to what is right? How do we know that we are right? How do we know? Well, the Holy Spirit doesn't deceive us. He draws attention to the Lord Jesus. He testifies of him. And he's the spirit of truth. Do you remember those wonderful words in chapter 14 uh, of John, early, earlier on in these chapters, where Jesus says, If it were not so, I would have told you. So there is such a thing as not being deceived. There is such a thing as knowing truth. There is such a thing as knowing that you're saved, that your sins have been forgiven. There is such a thing as knowing that you're going to heaven. And it all centers on the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the spirit of truth and he'll testify of me, Jesus says. A few years ago, um, um, a man told me that um, in his church, uh, they had a little group and they were reading the Bible together from beginning to end, Genesis to Revelation. And uh, this man, uh, we were sitting at a table actually having a meal, and this man said to me, uh, I, I now know what is the message of the Bible, he said. So I was interested to know what he was going to say, and, and he said, the message of the Bible is this. I, I've read it, he said, Genesis to Revelation. Women should not lead the church. That's the message of the Bible from beginning to end. Well, the Bible does have things to say about that, doesn't it? But is that the main message of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation? How tragic that you can study the Bible, you can read the Bible from beginning to end, back to front, and yet miss the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit will testify of me, Jesus says. Is Jesus precious to you? Do you believe in Jesus? Are you determined to follow him? We've sung about keeping near the cross. You know, these are, these are days really of wandering, aren't they? Everybody looking for something. There's no such thing as truth, we are told. But Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And then we can also say, well, Jesus says here that um, the Holy Spirit, he's not just the spirit of authority and truth, but, but he's the spirit who helps. Look at verse 27, the last verse of chapter 15. You also will bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. You've been with me, Jesus says, and I've been with you. But now the Holy Spirit is going to come to you. And when the Spirit comes, it's as if I will be there, Jesus says, and you will bear witness. The Spirit will help you. And so we read in Acts chapter 4, later on uh, after Pentecost, and when the Lord had returned to heaven, 
where we read these words, when they saw the boldness, the, the Sanhedrin and so on, the Jews, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. The men were, they were looking at Peter and John, trying to work them out, but they, and the conclusion they came to, these people have been with Christ. There's the mark of Christ upon them. And the Spirit of God helped them. In our Christian lives, do we look for the Holy Spirit to help us? Every day? Is that one of our big failings, maybe? The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5 says, uh, Be filled with the Spirit, which means go on being filled in, in terms of living the Christian life and uh, a life of holiness and godliness. Go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. We can't do it on our own. He's the spirit of authority. He's the spirit of truth. And he's the spirit who will help you. We finish this evening um, with, with uh, chapter 16, verses 1 to 4, by way of application. And that brings us back to Nathaniel's opening words at the beginning of our service this evening. Uh, that the Lord Jesus says these words because he wants his disciples to be strengthened. He's not just giving them doctrine for the sake of it. Uh, look at uh, chapter 16, verse 1. The, the words of Jesus are strengthening words. They strengthen us. These things I've spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. The word stumble means to take offense because trouble has come. Have you known people like that? They've they appear to be Christians, but then something happened and then they abandoned the faith. And, and they stumbled because trouble came. They were offended. They didn't expect it to be so hard, perhaps. And in the parable of the sower, Jesus did say that some will appear to be saved, but when trouble comes, it will become evident that they are not because they weren't prepared for the hardships. But there you see the Lord says, I, I, I don't want you to stumble. I don't want you to be to take offense when trouble comes. I want you to stand firm. And so the Lord Jesus wants them to be uh, forewarned, to be forearmed and so on. The Lord's words are strengthening words. They, they're also protecting words. Protecting words. The Lord is protecting them. He goes on to say in verse 2 that they will put you out of the synagogues and they will kill you and think that they're doing God's service. These things they will do to you because they've not known the Father or me. There's the ignorance again. And then verse 4. These things I have uh, said to you that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. Isn't that a lovely pastoral care from the Lord Jesus? I'm telling you this because I, I, I want you to know that when it happens, you'll remember that I told you and you'll be encouraged. Which is what must have happened to the disciples. So when they were in trouble, they, they remembered. Well, do you remember when he told us this is how it would be? And then they didn't lose heart. You will remember that I told you of them. These things I didn't say to you at the beginning because I was with you. There's the, there's the protection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, a few hours later in chapter 18, verses 8 and 9, they, they come to arrest Jesus in the garden and uh, Jesus says, I am he, I am the one you are looking for, he says to the crowd. 
Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way. So that the saying might be fulfilled, which he spoke, of those whom you gave to me, I've lost none. There's the protection of the Lord Jesus in, in the garden when they came to arrest him. You've got me now, so let these go, and off they go. Christ is protecting them. We might say, well, they ran away because they were cowards. But the Lord Jesus says, no, let them go their way so that the scripture might be fulfilled. I've lost none of them. It's as if he's spreading his wings over them. He's taking the punishment and he's protecting them. What a wonderful saviour the Lord Jesus is. A saviour who strengthens and protects and who cares for us. And so, yes, there is hatred. Be prepared for it in one way or another. It will come. And for some Christians, it will mean martyrdom. Uh, but even that is in the plan of God. Revelation says there's a number of martyrs and it's all in God's plan. God knows who the, what the number is. But there is also help given from Jesus by the Holy Spirit. So we can witness in this world and know that we are not on our own, but he is with us and protecting us. You may know the, the name of Michael Bruce. Uh, he was born in Scotland into a poor family in 1746. He wanted to go to university, but his parents couldn't f support him or fund him. So when he was old enough, he ran two schools during the summer. But he was physically frail. Michael Bruce and all the work was too much for him. He was confined to bed with TB. He would read a, a little Bible and memorize verses from it. He died at the age of 21 in 1767. But he wrote a wonderful hymn. And uh, I'm sure you know the words of this hymn. Where high the heavenly temple stands, the house of God not made with hands, a great high priest our nature wears, Jesus the Son of God appears. It's a long hymn. Let me just read the last two verses as we finish. In every pang that rends the heart, the man of sorrows has a part. He sympathizes with our grief and to the sufferer sends relief. Think of Michael Bruce on his deathbed at the age of 21. And he, he found comfort in the fact that Christ is, is my high priest who sympathizes and sends relief. With boldness, therefore, at the throne, let us make all our sorrows known and ask the, the aid of heavenly power to help us in the evil hour and that's what we need to do isn't it yes hatred but there is help available for us as the people of god and we thank god for the words of the lord jesus christ which comfort us and protect us and strengthen us